My name is Jill Phillips and I'm the creator of Who's Shoes, a popular approach to co-production. I was named as an HSJ100 wildcard and want to help give a voice to others talking about their ideas and experiences. I'll be chatting with people from all sorts of different perspectives, walking in their shoes. If you are interested in the future of healthcare and like to hear what other people think, or perhaps even contribute at some point, Whose Shoes Wildcard is for you. Today's podcast guest is someone I've been looking forward to talking to for a long time. It has just occurred to me this episode would have made a brilliant contribution to International Women's Day. But then it's good to talk about important issues all year round and not just on one particular day. So today I'm talking to Noreen Bukhari, a wonderful champion of women everywhere. Noreen is the sort of person who wears lots of hats. I met her a few years ago and she has been a fabulous champion of my Who Shoes work and we've worked together around women's voices in maternity care, including a very recent workshop at UHCW in Coventry in partnership with Director of Midwifery, Gaynor Armstrong. You can meet Gaynor in episode 19. But today I'm looking forward to hearing much more about Noreen as a person and the work that she does with FWT, a fantastic community-led organisation helping women fulfil their dreams and contribute fully in life and work. When I tweeted saying I was looking forward to talking to you, Noreen, there was an outpouring of love. You're making such a difference to women, and particularly those from Black, Asian and minority ethnic communities. So welcome, Noreen. Could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and the work that you do? Wow, Joel, that was a fantastic introduction. I'm so humbled by what you've just said. And you yourself, Joel, are an absolute gem. You know, you're such a, a lovely person and a great advocate for women and particularly those within maternity. It's been absolutely excellent working with you over the last few years and your passion is something that's very infectious and your enthusiasm that really motivates us to want to do better. So it's been a pleasure to collaborate with you over the years around maternity services and also the fantastic people that you've mentioned, Gaynor and various other sort of heads of midwifery and, and practitioners that we've been working with. It's been a fantastic, I would say, 20 years working in the third sector. I think being really privileged and humbled to be able to have worked with fantastic colleagues at FWT and also the partners across Coventry as a city as a whole. As a city, we're, we're very passionate in supporting the community at large. But I think with regards to FWT, we have the privilege to be able to support and focus on women and empowering women to take control of themselves and, and their families and, and whatever they want to choose to do. So it's very much, I would say, a needs-led service and organisation. It's really about a wraparound support for women in a holistic way. And if I may, I'll just talk to you a little bit about FWT, which is, it is a centre for women. It's based in Coventry. It's award-winning. It's a women-only centre. It's been operating since 1989. And we're dedicated to helping all women in Coventry and in the surrounding areas. And we work around supporting women socially and through health and economic programmes, accessing education, training, healthcare and employment opportunities. So she Women in the communities, really, we're trying to help them move forward. And we've worked on various programmes throughout the years, 
because we're third sector, a lot of our projects that we have, we have to source external funding for. So we apply for the funding and we have an X number of years that we can work on a particular programme. But our ethos is still around sort of social health economic programmes. It's around supporting women around she. So that's our expertise. And health programmes are particularly focused on Black, Asian, minority ethnic groups. And I've been working at FWT, I would say, for the last 20 years. I came from a chemistry background, worked in pharmaceutical and also technical sales. And I saw this opportunity that came up from MAMTA. And MAMTA means motherly love in South Asian languages. That's lovely. I didn't it know is. that. Yeah, yeah, I love that. It's actually pronounced MAMTA in the language. And it's such a warm word. And the programme itself started off, uh, the coordinator price was advertised about 20 odd years ago. And I was just had been made redundant from one of my posts around. And I saw that and I thought, wow that would be something I would love to do and then I applied for it got the job as a coordinator and it was really an idea on, on a piece of paper and then myself and a few sort of really passionate midwives collaborated together and the head of midwifery at the time Bernie Marshall we went to see her and I just talked to her about some of the gaps what were the gaps with regards to women from different ethnic communities accessing services and we realised that women from Asian communities at that time was just the biggest South Asian group and black communities weren't necessarily accessing parent craft or parent education or potentially getting the most out of parent education. So we set up the first specialist parent craft in Coventry. Wow. And that was with two passionate midwives who really, really wanted to work with us on that. And we developed a course, a program really to try and support women from those communities to be able to have a space that was safe, that was culturally appropriate and had language support. So that's been running for the last 20 years. It's changed slightly with regards to the model, but the principle is still the same. Our communities now in Coventry are very diverse. We have over 100 dialects that are spoken within the city. We have people that are from, from all over the world for different reasons they've come to Coventry our biggest group is still the South Asian community and they're the largest group that are giving birth to babies in, in the city but we are seeing more women coming from the Middle East from Africa from Europe whether it's for economic reasons whether it's spousal migrants whether it's as students or refugees and asylum seekers so we're a city of peace and reconciliation and Coventry is like a magnet to a lot of communities really and it's very diverse and we have a massive population churn. So we've seen lots of communities come and go and different ethnicities, but we've been able to adapt the service with regards to that. So, so MAMTA's aim really is to support women in pregnancy and after babies born. Our focus is trying to support and educate women in the pregnancy period from 16 weeks onwards up until babies three months old. We've recently changed the model. Before we used to have our support focused on the three areas that had the highest ethnic communities in Coventry. Now we're based at FWT, but we're commissioned by Public Health by SWIFT under the Family Health and Lifestyle Service. And that's a service that integrates health visiting, school nursing, be active, be healthy, stop smoking in pregnancy, FMP. What's FMP? Family Nurse Partnership, which is a programme that focuses on young parents and it's a specialised programme 
a nurse program that's a dedicated nurse that supports those young people from pregnancy up until a certain period after the baby is born. And people referred into the service by midwifery. So it's a specialised programme. And the magic word that you mentioned there was integration. That's what I'm hearing. And all those different aspects, all those different communities, the different needs that people have got, actually working together with other services and such a strong link between the third sector where you're working and the formal maternity services at UHCW. It's a very special relationship, I think. Absolutely. And I would say that I think Mamta, the journey of Mamta over the last 20 years, we've worked very hard as peer workers that we have within the team, worked hard to support women in pregnancy and after babies born, but also we've got a fantastic relationship with UHCW, maternity services, and also the other health practitioners that support women and families. And we've built those over the years and all of us are working to improve outcomes really. And those relationships are really important. And I think we're very unique over the last three or four years, being part of that integrated programme has meant that we're working alongside health practitioners at the NHS to be able to then deliver services to the community. It feels as if Coventry is so far ahead of other areas in this respect. That kind of integration seems to be exactly what people are striving for. The new model that we've got that's been sort of launched last year was really to ensure that every woman in Coventry that was from a baby community had access to MAMTA, whereas before we couldn't do that. And uh, part of that integral pathway is maternity services that are referring those women to us. And our aspiration is to ensure that every baby woman is referred to MAMTA so we can support them, actively help to eradicate a lot of the barriers and issues that people might face with regards to access and engagement within health. And there are different barriers that women do face and it's about ensuring that we as a service support those in an appropriate way and help to then also link back to those services back to to health and being integrated makes such a difference because it means that a lot of the work is evidence-based we provide a bridge really between community and health so we have the trust of the community but also we have those relationships with our practitioners and our professional partners then to be able to deliver in a very worthwhile or holistic service. But we have the flexibility of being third sector to be able to still do certain things that maybe health partners might have restrictions to. So it's it work, it's a win-win situation for us, for the partners as well as ourselves and the women that we support. We've supported, I think, over about 40,000 BAME women since the inception of the service. Wow. And, it's amazing. Uh, it's absolutely fantastic. You know, it's mind boggling. And, you know, we've been really humbled because it's been recognised as well. We've we've gone for partnership awards. So we've won a few compact awards in Coventry. Again, celebrating the partnership with our health partners, UHCW Maternity Services, or whether it's our health visiting partners or our public health partners, city council partners. We've had uh, Channel 4 News come and visit us. And uh, they did a little piece on... Um, reducing infant mortality yeah we were named as a good practice program to be trying to address some of those issues we had the bbc come and spend a morning with us with their health correspondent came in and talked to some of our service users and we appeared in a, in a podcast actually and we've been mentioned in certain articles we've been invited to talk about the program and you know the good practice and we've won various awards you know, fantastic think, an Oscar award, I think, a few years back with maternity services around the collaboration that we've got. 
And I suppose supporting those women holistically really makes a difference because we're able then to offer that peer support to women and to create a good relationship with them, to, you know, a trusting relationship and try to identify what it is that, that might stop them from accessing services. And there might be lots of reasons. There might be some mistrust or a lack of information or knowledge of what goes on here in the UK or there might be family restrictions or, you know, there's lots of reasons why certain women might not necessarily get access to the information that they need to have. So we try and eradicate a lot of those barriers. And then what we do is we link those women to services that they need so it's not just about the health professionals, it's other services as well. So it might be around housing, it might be around debt. So it's trying to sort of look at the social determinants of health and address inequalities in health by looking at the wider picture and offering that holistic support in a way that's appropriate. And the parent education classes are still running and we love them to bits. I mean, we have a lot of the family health and lifestyle partners come in. So we start with an exercise class in the morning and then we go on to sort of education with a midwife and our sort of birth and pain relief, etc. And then we might have stop smoking or breastfeeding teams come in. And the peer workers work really hard to get those women to come into the session. And a new group of women come in every week. We have interpreters present for women that can't speak English. So, so the, the feedback is brilliant. But then we offer the one-to-one support, the peer support throughout pregnancy and after baby's born up until baby's three months old. And at the appropriate time, we give the right messages and ensure that those women have everything that they need, really, to have better outcomes. But as you know, with MAMTA, we've been able to also look at other programmes. You know, we've been really fortunate that the team, because we're so experienced, that if we do get funding from from other places, we're able also then to to work on other things. So we've done lots of research programmes over the years. We've worked with Coventry University. We've worked with Warwick University on the experiences of parents. And again, focusing on the BAME communities and what the needs are. And we recently did a piece with Warwick University around parents' experience around COVID because uh, that was a very difficult time. And because it was part of the city of culture, we managed to do a little video of the voices of some of the women and what their experiences were and how they felt. But we've also worked on various programmes uh, and research, which we've been really, really privileged to be able to do. We've worked with, with the City Council on Public Health around other programmes, things like smoking cessation. We did a genetic counselling programme as well. We've done COVID messages and we've cascaded those out to the community. And alongside that, we're able to also do other health programmes like FWT. So we work on a cervical screening programme, but also breast screening and bowel screening and trying to educate the community on the benefits of, of screening and to try to increase uptake so we work with local gps and uh, the integrated care body in the country warwickshire to try and increase those rates uh, and support the community so it's a two-tier model really around community engagement and supporting practices with their calls I'll yeah. just stop you in a minute insofar as what you're saying i think is absolute gold you know in terms of you're just naturally reeling off these different relationships it's all about relationships and I think what I'm hearing is this is built very naturally over many many years and things like trust and trust between communities and perhaps if a lack of trust or information isn't quite right or not understanding that kind of cultural 
awareness. It's never a quick fix, is it? I'm thinking of perhaps the fact that obviously the issues around five times more and black and ethnic minority communities and the essential need to address the issues in in certain communities and make things so much better across the country. Other people are now trying to do some of this work. And I'm very proud because, I mean, Coventry is my local city and I used to work for many years, for 30 years, for Coventry City Council. I think Coventry had the most diverse communities in terms of the numbers of different communities and dialects in the country and I'm sure I don't know if that's still the case but it it probably is and that was a, a source of great pride really in terms of welcoming people and genuinely looking to find people's needs and you know as you say with funding I mean that was something that that I was involved in a bit from the other side and these fantastic community projects I mean I know you know, I've got a really close relationship with Grapevine in Coventry. I think they're amazing. They've been going 25 years. This is long-standing, very genuine work, isn't it? Absolutely. And, um, and Grapevine do some fantastic work. And they're a, a great specialist organisation, I think, particularly around people that have learning disabilities or other needs. Uh, and they have, a, I would say, a specialism around that. And I think Coventry is very diverse with regards to the organisations. I'm talking about the third sector. We have lots of organisations that have specialisms and that you say that it grows from a passion and it's very genuine and it's it's to try and meet a need that's really pertinent in that community. And then over the years, we've seen some organisations that have closed and some that have grown. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, it's one of those things. It's around sort of funding and, and how much funding people are able to apply for and how much is available. So unfortunately, we, we can't deliver the programs that we're delivering without sufficient funding. And some of those have a year, two years, three years, and then we have to apply for further funding again. And it depends on the priorities. And like you talked about the diverse communities and the BAME communities, we've got more attention, haven't we? The more of a spotlight on, especially on the Embrace report. Yes, yes. The, the rates of maternal deaths, unfortunately, they are very high within certain communities compared to and I, I've done this for like with Mampton it's been 20 years and unfortunately the reducing inequalities and, and reducing infant mortality maternal mortality has been one of our targets for a long time and I, I'm saying unfortunately because obviously we, we want that to improve but because we've got such a population churn in Coventry compared to 10 years ago 15 years ago the population was very different compared to what it is now so I think having services like MAMTA or organisations like FWT or organisations like Grapevine or various other specialist organisations working within those fields, those issues and those problems are always going to exist. So it's really truly investing in those organisations to be able to do the work that they're doing in such a good way because those needs are need addressing all the time. You know, 15, 20 years ago when we started MAMTA, a majority of the population was South Asian, like I mentioned before, yeah. and now we have different ethnic groups and diverse groups in Coventry we've had refugees and asylum seekers that have come in that have their separate needs that wasn't the case 20 years ago the dynamics of what's going on around the world has an impact and obviously immigration has an impact but it's celebrating diversity I personally I love it I love the fact we've got lots of different cultures religions languages that are spoken in the city and it's really about trying to adapt services so everyone has a better outcome really and funding really is an issue. 
And I think we need to try and sort of target it where we've got specialisms. So I think we've been really lucky with Mamta that we've had that trust that you've mentioned from the community, but also the trust from, from our commissioners and our, and our practitioners and our partners to be able to deliver an effective service and partnership. So we've been really lucky and humbled by that, but it's, it's a lot of hard work by all of us, really. And uh, to be flexible and to meet the needs, really, and, and flex the model to be able to then meet the needs of, of the community and the landscape that we're in at the moment, always changing. And obviously the government's always changing and strategies change <laughs> and priorities change. But health inequalities is, is always been something that FWT as an organisation have always focused on. And, and rightly so, really, because, you know, it's it's about looking at the wider determinants of health and how that has an impact on on women as a whole. And trying to empower women really to be able to look after themselves, their families or whatever they want to do. And, and to, you know, addressing those barriers, it gives empower women with that confidence to be able to do those things for themselves. And, and I, I remember being pregnant myself and I was at, when I started MAPTA 20 years ago, I, in the first year, I think I, I became pregnant. And even though I was managing the service, working with midwives day in, day out, cascading all those messages to the community, I felt very vulnerable myself. Uh, and I'm, I'm born here in the UK and I speak English well, but then I always chose to, to, to go to MAPTA for my parent education because I felt quite shy going to a mixed setting and learnt so much information as a service user myself and actually going through that journey of pregnancy and also then giving birth at, at UACW as well I felt vulnerable so I think every woman that goes through that experience even though it's trying to normalise it as much as possible is knowing that we you know we provide the right services so there's people that come to us that don't necessarily need us as a service, you know, we will refer a signpost to those people onto the appropriate service. We speak to women and we engage with women and they, they want to go to a mixed antenatal class to Ivana, now, which is absolutely fine. Everyone has different needs. It's just really trying to understand that. And that's the personalised care, isn't it? To just listen to, listen to women and hear what they need individually and help them work through that in a safe way. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's and listening that's... to women's voices, really. And, and as you know, that also being part of the maternity engagement group and Hugh Shoes. And also prior to that, I used to chair the MSLC. Previous version to Maternity Voices Partnership, isn't it? So that Absolutely. People, so working with women, the, was it the Maternity Services Liaison Committee? That was the previous name, wasn't it? It was, so you, yeah. You chaired that for five years, as I remember. Uh, ten years. Was it ten years? Yeah. You chaired that for ten years? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the... The commissioners at the time, which was a PCT, then it went on to the CCG, were happy for me to carry on. And so were the partners of the midwife team. And I was really, really honoured to be able to do that for 10 years. 10 years. Um, yeah. So maternity services liaison committee, again, it had very similar aims and objectives to to the MVP, which really is trying to hear the voices of service users to try and shape and help improve maternity services. And it was a very similar setup. We had multi-agency partners sitting on there, heads of midwifery modern matrons, infant feeding leads, commissioners and service users. And it was really trying to, to capture that, that service user voice. And I think working within the same area where we want to try and sort of capture the BAME voice as well, we were able then to, to be able to cascade out surveys or have that user engagement and listen to, to women and what they were saying and feed into those meetings. And I felt really, really passionate about that. 
really passionate about working with heads of midwifery to, to look at their vision. And then obviously with the MVP, when the structure changed, I started to chair the maternity engagement group in Coventry, which oversaw Coventry and rugby. And again, it was, it was trying to hear the service user voice. It was more service user led than the med groups. And, and that would feed into the MVP. And every single woman that came to those meetings, and also some of the dads as well, and their experiences of how that maternity experience touched them. And a lot of people don't realise that some people, that they take that with them for the rest of their life. They always remember where they gave birth. They always remember their midwife. They always remember that experience that they had. And in some instances, it, it can traumatise some people. And in some instances, you know, if they've had bad experiences, it, it can be very, very positive and something they look back on with fondness. Yeah. But working with patient experience midwife in UHUW was fantastic and also head of midwifery, just to be able to work on an action plan. And the Who Shoes action plan was created jail where we did the just before lockdown I think that we had an event at UHCW which was brilliant and to be able to attend that event and capture everyone's experiences and views and our key themes really that we wanted to to look at and focus on really gave us some direction really you know that delivery plan really and what we wanted to look for going forward and then we had lockdown and following that, we just had a very recent event, like you mentioned at the beginning, the Who Shoes event that we did with, with Gaynor Armstrong, Louise Clark uh, and Leanne. And again, it was great to see practitioners there and service users there, again, informing their views and key themes, again, that will be in the new action plan going forward. Um, unfortunately, I've stepped down as Meg chair as we've got a new structure that's coming going forward for the MVP. I thought it was really timely for me to to hand that over to somebody else but I really have been honoured to be able to have done that role and been able to sort of chair the MSLC and also the, the maternity engagement group for, for so many years um, over a decade I've been really privileged to be able to have done that and just make a difference really big difference yeah absolutely and I, think, I mean you were talking then and even that was really innovative so the event that we did with Gainer at UHCW and obviously all the team very collaborative I saw as really innovative because we wanted to reflect on people's experiences during the pandemic. And I think the realisation that the women and families and what it had felt like to give birth during the pandemic and the isolation and the very unique issues, but also for the staff to be in that midwifery unit and to have to say, sorry, your partner can't stay or with the changing government guidelines, as Gaynor described, literally by the day, you know, having to catch up and uh, work around trying to keep really good communication with women, including through Facebook and some, you know, more modern media. And you mentioned, I wanted to come back to you, mentioned briefly, and it was so fantastic. It re- it's something that really stuck with me, the film that was made with Warwick University. And I love the fact that it was, obviously incredibly powerful but it was the voices of the women you didn't it didn't need to be a video you didn't need to actually see the person and I suppose that's that perhaps links with what I'm trying to do with the podcast sometimes the power of audio and just hearing people's experience and that whole power of storytelling tell us just a little bit more about that film because is it something we could link to Noreen I don't know whether Absolutely. I mean, we've got um, our website is www.fwt.org.uk and 
we've got a little brief on the project there. And you're absolutely right. I think um, sometimes just hearing a voice or voices of people and their experiences has a massive impact on on yourself and they're relatable. And because we had the privilege of working with Royal University on that and being able to have the City of Culture funding, because obviously Coventry was awarded City of Culture funding, which allowed different local organisations to be able to do something a bit different, a bit innovative. So rather than just working on something that was like, for example, research based, it was producing a piece of artwork or something that was different. So there was a legacy that was left after the project was finished. So our aims really for that programme was to see, I mean, COVID was a very difficult time anyway for everybody. All of a sudden, in the month of March, three years ago, we all we we were told that we couldn't leave our homes and this horrible virus was going around and um, people were dying. All we could see in the news was the numbers of deaths every day and it was very frightening. It was a horrible time for everybody, wherever we were in the UK. And obviously we didn't know too much about it, about how we, you know, we would contract the virus. We were scared to go out. And, you know, people that were women, particularly that were pregnant, during that, that time it was very very difficult for them and as a service you know supporting pregnant women fortunately we did close we were very lucky that we were able to then carry on but we just had to very quickly adapt as an organization of WT to working remotely to offering the remote services online services adapting the service so we were still supporting women and able to sort of carry on with the work just like all our other partners, I mean, some part, um, organisations had to close down altogether and some remained open. All those women were very, very anxious and anxiety levels hit a peak, for particularly the women that we were supporting. And staff as well included, as you know from the impact of that event that we went to, staff, midwives, practitioners, FWT staff, whoever is out there supporting the patients and, and, the, and the families were also anxious and also going through those difficulties and really tried to reassure the women as well and their families at the same time so with our professional hats on and I remember sitting in a couple of meetings whereby practitioners were crying because they'd lost their loved ones through COVID yet they were still coming to work and having to be able to support women and families who were anxious as well so families that we knew I think everybody knew someone who had passed away of COVID or they had been impacted by COVID during that period and been able to then also offer a service at the same time. So this particular project with Warwick University was to look at what COVID and parenthood was like. I captured the voices of Bain women particularly. So we worked in partnership with, with Warwick University to be able to then to recruit women to tell their stories and we had a focus group, we had one-to-one -one sessions that took place with, with Warwick Universities, really trying to capture their voice. And then some of their comments were sort of put together into this audio, and that's something that was the impact of the programme, really. And that audio is, is available on our, our website, so people can have a, have a look at that and listen to that if they wish to do so. But we, at the Heath Youth event, it was great that we were able to play that really because it really set the scene because a huge user event was really looking at COVID and, and wellbeing 
the impact of the last couple of years and, and look at the ways of how to go forward and, and learn from that. You know, we're a lot better place now, but at the time it was very, very scary. It was, and I think it's really important to take that time to reflect and I was thrilled we managed to do that together through that workshop. So the City of Culture brought some amazing opportunities to Coventry and one of my previous episodes, which I just did on my own because I was just so affected really by attending the Symphony of Us at Coventry Cathedral. I don't know if you came across that at all, but it was the most amazing storytelling event, deliberately blending very, very different people in terms of, you know, if you stereotype people, the six people who kind of starred in this little production, which was all backed by a full orchestra all the way through. It was quite an extraordinary wow. event against the backdrop of the beautiful glass etching at the back of the new cathedral, looking onto the old cathedral. And one of the participants was Sam, the bereavement midwife at George Eliot Hospital, who was one of the people who tweeted to say, wow, you're talking to Noreen, she's fantastic. And <laughs> all these different threads that get woven. And I think where that event affected me so much was learning that six people that were deliberately chosen to be like about as different as they could be and then coming together as a group and finding out that genuinely they got more in common than you might think if you just stereotype people in society and that I think that was a very very imaginative Coventry style event and I think the the kind of things that you're talking about I don't think perhaps you realize how just those golden threads that you're sewing so naturally through what you're saying about all the different people who've come together and then during the pandemic how people had to reshape and do things differently but that core support that core value was still there very special oh thank you Jill and you know I didn't go to that event I would have loved to have gone you would um, yeah and, and the way you described it I can actually picture it in my head because it is such a beautiful venue and uh, I've been to a couple of events there and especially these the multicultural events and multi-faith events and you know partnership events and Coventry do that really really well and it's great to see that that diversity and like you said the different types of people coming together and sharing their stories is so powerful and there is so much more in common that there is that divides us and I think with with COVID and, and the experiences of COVID uh, and even though we're trying to capture the, the experiences of being women they're being women from different backgrounds yes. so you know we might come across somebody from Poland or from Romania or someone from Africa or from Syria or someone who's from the UK who's Asian or Asian Pakistani and all those women there's, there's so many things that they share that are in common but they have different experiences and I think in, like I said uh, Coventry are very good at we are great at, at coming together and embracing that and thank you for mentioning Sam Sam is somebody that I've known for, for many many years where she worked at UHCW as a bereavement midwife she's very passionate at what she does and instrumental in supporting so many families over a very difficult time and we are fortunate with regard to they talked about a lot of some of the threads with MAMTA that we've done other programs that are linked to it so one of the the other programs that we're, we're working alongside MAMTA but funded by CWPT is the perinatal mental health program which is focusing again on BAME communities and supporting women who have anxiety or low mood in pregnancy or after baby's born and we're also linked 
to the lost pathways as well, which again is looking at supporting or raising awareness in communities about the support available for for families who have lost a, a baby, you know, or had a miscarriage, for example. So there's so many different links that we have got established, but they all overlap and they're all really important services and really important to be able to support the community. And, and you know, it's been a great privilege, really, to be able to have worked in Coventry with so many fantastic partners through the community and also across health. And we're all really, really passionate about what we want to do. And I think for us at FWT, I think people do see that passion and they see it's genuine and they see that, you know, we really want to make a difference. And that's from the sort of management committee down to the managers, to the staff and the volunteers that have come and supported us over the years. You know, we couldn't have done it without them. It's very much a, a partnership approach and everyone working together to, to sort of address the inequalities, to improve women's health and, and strengthen that support that we give to our service users by joining up and working together and shaping ideas. And it's been great that we don't just do the delivery. We've been sitting on various strategic groups so we're able then to make an impact and have a voice for, for, for those women that we're supporting and a voice for BAME users or women in general. So whether it's Maternity Services Liaison Committee, the MVP, or Health Watch, or, or VAC, or in the Marmot Partnership Group, or various groups that we've been sort of part of, it's really about providing that voice to represent those communities as much as we can and providing a voice for them. Also, I've been really fortunate to be able to offer the bespoke training as well, which has been really brilliant throughout the years. And I've been invited to sort of share our experiences with the student midwives at Coventry University. So for many years, I used to go there and do part of a module and just really share our experiences and, and have discussions around, you know, different cultures and communities and how to address the need, etc. And been really fortunate to be able to still go into the learning events for UHCW and the midwives there and uh, we recently did a bit of commissioning of work around scoping Warwickshire so what are the needs for the BAME communities there particularly around perinatal mental health and providing that that cultural diversity training and professional training so that's been really great to be a part of that as well so you know there's just so many different ventures that we've been able to work on over the years and we've been really privileged to be able to have done that. I just suddenly got this vision of, you know, Anna Gaia, our fabulous graphic artist who's done the visual recording of our various Who Shoes events in Coventry and indeed across the country. I think we need to ask Anna to draw a web of all the different things that you've mentioned during this wow. podcast. And then it probably needs, uh, I'm, I'm probably pushing my luck now, to be 3D because it's got so much depth as well as in terms of how how far back these links go and the relationships and the trust that sits behind it. Oh, wow, so, that's <laughs> amazing. I mean, I've seen her work and it's absolutely brilliant. Having a 3D version, wow. So, so, oh, so if, you're wow. Listening, if you're listening, Anna, and if you've got a, a free <laughs> rainy Sunday one time when you don't want to switch off from, from work and you, you fancy taking up that challenge... <laughs> That'd be excellent. Yeah, it would be amazing. It was, and that visual, I've seen, you know, when she's sitting, when we'd be sitting in some of those Who Shoes workshops and what she creates from just a few of the post-its that she gets or from the conversations that she hears and what she's able to create on paper, it's just such such a a visual masterpiece, really, to be able to do that. And we've 
obviously when I was chairing the maternity engagement group, we kept that as a source of really our themes for action plan. And it was always a privilege to be able to sort of look at it. And it was just amazing what she was able to capture. Very talented. And it's, it's always wonderful to hear that, that at best, ideally, that is an action plan. It's what the people who came to that session said and talked about and were open and transparent in terms of things that were good, things that needed to improve, and to be able to revisit that and think, well, what's happening about that? What can we do about that? It's, Absolutely. it's lovely to hear that, yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, the, the Who Shoes events have been absolutely instrumental the last couple of times for the action plans that we've been working on locally because it's just a great a great session and it's a great way to capture pertinent topics. You know, the fact that we are able to talk about difficult topics and everyone's open and honest, and, you know, there's table discussions and we can really sort of get to the root of what the issues are. And the common themes have always been communication and, and things like information sharing. I think there's always been something that we need to generally look at. And it is how people are spoken to and what, what they remember. And everyone's very different. And even with some of the, the maternity engagement group meetings that we used to have, it was around how people perceive it as well at the time. So that's really interesting that that came up as, as a theme again this year. But it's always about trying to improve the care and support that we give to the families and ensuring that we're meeting the needs and things change year by year. But, you know, I think with the work that we do, particularly at FWT, I think it's really around early intervention and prevention work. It's really about trying to support women and families to try and improve people's health before it gets to a stage where they have adverse health issues. And it's about empowerment. It's about trying to give people knowledge it's around addressing the needs, the gaps, partnership working, trying to be innovative and uh, being able to have that flexibility of working with the community, but also be able to work on research programmes. And we've got that flexibility at Flows and Restraints to be able to do that. But it's really about having that agenda of being really strong and passionate about this is our agenda, this is our specialism. We're women only. We support women in, in Coventry in the city and we know what their needs are. And we want to be their voice. And to be able to be diverse and flex our services depending on the need. But I think particularly for the BAME services that we offer, the projects, it's around addressing those particular needs and being able to have the platforms to raise issues to mainstream audiences when we have them and, and sharing that good practice and, and, you know, to have an impact on reducing inequalities. And uh, we've been fortunate to be able to have the opportunity to be able to do that, you know, but it's hard work. And unfortunately, with the third sector, you know, we do need funding and it's about ensuring that we've got that uh, to be able to carry on doing that, that good work. So we're able to have the staff. And it's very, I mean, in comparison to, so I would say, statutory bodies, it's a lot cheaper with regards to running costs, etc. But the long term impacts are massive because in the end, we're, we're saving, for example, the NHS or whatever money in the long run because we've got those interventions that are early intervention programs right in the beginning yes so I mean, you've mentioned there i think your ability to be flexible and to focus on things like early intervention and prevention some of those things are hard to measure in money but oh boy don't we know that they have effects on people's lives and long-term effects on families and obviously in the longer term saving money to get it right 
and to save all that hardship and suffering and misery in the meantime. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, I think there always needs to be a budget, really, for that. I mean, even though we we are overstretched, you know, we know that the NHS at the moment, with regards to some of the the acute services, you know, we've got a lot of long waiting lists. There's lots of issues going on, particularly because of the COVID pandemic, the impact that's had on everything else. We always need to invest in, in prevention as well, because obviously there are people out there that with that prevention and that early intervention will really benefit and they won't have long term adverse effects if they get that information. And, and you know, our job, I suppose, in a way is to ensure that it's appropriate and it's timely. So that's always been our focus, really. And I hope that the funders and commissioners are always going to be investing in these type of programmes, really, because it's so important. I would hope that that's being better understood now. Obviously, there's not enough money for anything and everything. But I think people are starting to realise. I think the work of people like the King's Fund has been very, very instrumental in terms of you can't just put more money into the NHS or social care or third sector organisations. It's all got to kind of fit together. The other thing I wanted to mention was in terms of we've talked a bit about the various who shoes work that we've done. So we're we're not just starting, it's been the last couple of years now, to do some more bespoke work working with women from black and ethnic minority communities. And there's been a fabulous young leader who was one of the Darcy Fellows. So Rosie Murphy did her Darcy placement around health inequalities in maternity at Croydon Hospital. And last year we were privileged to run a workshop together. Um, I think it was at the local Asian centre. And within the short time that Rosie had got, because time-limited projects, like you're saying about funding and the ability to do something in the timescale that ideally you, you want to, and you can't always do that. I think the work that Rosie did in terms of building relationships and trust in a very short period of time, which is always difficult, was phenomenal. And the ripples are going very, very strongly from that. And there's somebody amazing called Leela Howe, who came along to the workshop, who's a, a local, um, I don't know whether you'd call her an activist. You know, you, you don't know how to label people, if you like, but just a fantastic woman working in her community and beyond and nationally, I think, making some extraordinary things happen. So I think I suppose that's what I'm trying to do through my work. You just put some feelers out there and try and do something within the the budget or the opportunity that you've got. And, you know, that's what you're doing, Noreen. You're you're just taking whatever opportunities come. And the fact that it's a one year project or a three year project or may or may not be extended will be the best use of that money it can be. And just ask whoever's listening to fund groups like yours rather than always look through formal channels who can spaff a lot of money rather quickly, you know, on, yeah. on not a lot sometimes. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Jill. And You know, it sounds brilliant, the workshop you've got involved in. And it's great that you were able to do that and that funding was available. And absolutely, I think, I think sometimes when we go for certain pots of funding, there's always a caveat around innovation. And I always say that if there's something that works, keep it going. If there's something that doesn't work or there's gaps that have been identified, you know, that's when we need to look at innovation. So it's really about ensuring that we've got that flexibility within certain funding models that are out there so that we're able to fund existing programmes as well. Because a lot of the third sector organisations and country probably do some fantastic work locally and they 
build, it takes a long time to build a project up and build up trust and relationship, even train staff, and then obviously have a service that's set up. And then after a year or two, all that hard work is done. Yes. And then the funding finishes. And then why not sort of continue those programs that are working well? Uh, I think one of the things that always comes up for funding bids is about sustainability. How can we sustain this going forward? Yes. And you can embed the lessons learned. But as you know, that can't always be embedded into mainstream services because of capacity issues and various other things. And also, I think there are specialists that can do that work. For example, there are universal services that are available to everybody. But there's, there are some areas that need that specialist support like we talked about earlier, you know, about the specialists in the third sector, the voluntary sector, it should be considered as a as a strong partner. And, you know, I suppose in commentary, we've been really lucky that we've had that, you know, that trust from the practitioners and also the, the service users, our partners, to be able to be part of an integrated health programme and a model. And that's been through 20 years of hard work and working together with those partners and building that. And I think people also need to understand that it's people's, this is one of my hobby horses, really, it's people's lives involved. So one of my, as I say, hobby horses is, and if you're doing a project, and I can think of very specific examples from my own experience, and perhaps you're taking people who haven't had that support before, and you're doing something very special with them, and you're building them up and helping them move on with their lives. If that stops, then for those individuals, you've got to be very, very sure of where that leaves them and how they move on from that new experience, new opportunity that they've had. Because otherwise, it, to me, it could be so damaging that you've actually offered something and then like ripped it away from under them. Where does um, that leave people? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think their lives are better now. I mean, they're more empowered. They, they have the information that they need. It has a, a better impact on them. I mean, we focus on women, on women and their families. It's, it's not just them as an individual. It has a sort of ripple effect on everybody that's around them. They're, they're more empowered, more confident to be able to do other things. So I think one of the things that we try and do at FWT is that we don't hold on to any particular woman. Once we've supported her and given her, you know, say if she comes to Mampton, we've given her the support around pregnancy and, and positive outcomes for her and baby. It might be that she can't speak English and she wants to be referred on to an English course ESOL program or she wants to find a job or she wants help with a CV or it might be that she wants help with housing so because we've got the various programs within FWT we would refer internally first within the organization we have different types of projects and programs that can support women holistically so for example around sort of ESOL and English maths IT also if anybody's got any issues around um, domestic violence or if they've got any issues around say housing or debt or and any legal support they might need we have a Coventry Women's Partnership program at the centre and we link with all the women's organisations in Coventry so we're able then to refer internally um, and support those women so it's a wraparound service and you know various needs are met so if you pull any one of those programmes something that's missing yes. those women but equally we refer it to all the agencies in Coventry so not just our health partners but anybody that would benefit that particular woman and her family and we also like work with with programs supporting refugees and people that are new to the country so spouse and migrant just to try and become more integrated and uh, more socially sort of inclusive in, in sense they're able to navigate their way around Coventry so 
we have caseworkers that work around that and all that support that they can offer those women is so important from things like accessing GP to filling out forms for housing, ensuring that they understand certain letters that come through from the school. You know, there's lots of things that families do struggle with. So we're very fortunate that we've got the funding to be able to support those people, those communities and those women. And if it wasn't for that, they wouldn't have that support, you know. Well, I think we probably better wind up soon, Noreen, because we definitely could talk all day. But I'd really like to thank you for offering a masterclass in integration and inclusion, because I think if people want to unpick this podcast in terms of all the different strands that you've mentioned, and I'll try and do a transcript that people can read it as, as well. But I think the gems that you've brought in, I'm just seeing it as like a big jigsaw. And you said at the end, funding gets pulled on any part of it then that's causing problems, isn't it? Because you've got something in place that's working and it's like having a jigsaw and taking random pieces out and then suddenly it doesn't work anymore. So I think there's so much richness and I'm looking for lemon light bulbs in this series and you've kind of lit the world up there, but people need to to hear that and to, to understand that in terms of a formula, it's a very deep, rich formula that's genuinely been built rather than something that you can just fly in with a bit of money for a couple of years and and hope to get some really good outcomes because it just doesn't work like that. No, no absolutely. And thank you so much for that summary, Jill. <laughs> Very kind of you, but you're absolutely right. That's the world of the third sector at the moment. And we do need the funding to be able to carry on with the fantastic work. And you're right about the fact that you know, the relationships have, have taken time to build over 20 years, particularly for Mamter. And it takes a lot of time and investment and hard work and passion Passion. yeah to develop those those links and those, those partnerships so uh, thank you for recognizing that and it was really lovely to chat to you Jill it's always a pleasure but thank you so much for taking time out to speak to me and thank you Noreen for coming on the podcast it's been brilliant thank you so much thank you thank you take care I hope you have enjoyed this episode if so Please subscribe now to hear more of these fascinating conversations on your favourite podcast platform and please leave a review. I tweet as whose shoes. Thank you for being on this journey with me and let's hope that together we can make a difference.